0: Every church ministry job I've ever had has had a other duty as assigned. It's just the nature of the all over the place part of ministry. And when I was in New Mexico, my other duty as assigned was dealing with film and movie, TV and movie crews. You may not know, but a lot of things are filmed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we had a regular influx of people filming things. Some of the churches would avoid this, but I didn't understand why because you had hundreds of people coming through your building, asking questions, being in relationship, getting to meet you. And I thought it was a blast. I even thought it was a blast making time to watch some of what they were doing. Someone I'm still acquainted with who's one of, who was a producer, he just it was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe you like watching this, Jane. This is like watching paint dry. And I'm like, but it's so different than anything else I ever get to do. Anyways, that is not the point of the story. The point of the story is one of the people I was having a conversation with asked a lot of the normal questions about the windows and about the accoutrements and how we're related to other churches and even the questions about, so it looks kind of Catholic, but you have women and married people in leadership. So some surface questions. And I remember this one person, she she was related to sound. And we were waiting for, they were waiting, I was just watching, waiting for cables to get laid or something like that. And she asked the question, so how does this really make a difference? Like I used to go to church occasionally with my grandma and it was fine, but I've never understood how the church makes a real difference in the world, which is a really deep question to be asking in the middle of filming chaos. And I talked about the reign of God. I talked about big peace and little peace, like the contributing to the great peace of the world that's beyond our ability to do alone and those tiny, small pieces of reconciliation and centeredness. But I do think it's an important question for people who are just wondering what in the world we're up to. I went, so have you heard that question in any shape or form before?
1: Uh, yes. What are we doing in the world we, uh, I'm at Trinity Cathedral here in Sacramento. We have a ministry to the unhoused. One of the things that's been really interesting is um, noticing that members of the unhoused community, and members of our regular community, I can't always tell who's who. And sometimes people do like to delineate between who's who. But a number of the people that come to our Wednesday night meal, our Friday morning respite center, come to church on Sunday mornings and worship with us and are actually kind of integrating into the wider community and building real relationships. And the moment when you get beyond the, who is that person I don't know, to the name um, of someone and to an actual relationship, and then even into story, um, I can begin to see the church as a community making a real difference. And it doesn't just make a difference for the member of the unhoused community, it makes a difference for members of the congregation who are people needing to be transformed by the gospel, by the good news as well. And one of the things I see in them as they recognize humanity in a whole range of different people is them just being changed. And I think that that then changes their way of interacting with others every day of the week.
0: Absolutely. So this is Right Questions. I am the Reverend Jane Gober. I'm the rector of Christ Church in Ridley Park, Pennsylvania, in the Diocese of Pennsylvania. And my guest today is my old friend who I don't think I've seen since he became all fancy and became a dean of a cathedral. So, Matthew, um, you've already told us where you serve. Will you tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: Yes, uh, I am Matthew. I am at Trinity Cathedral. I am the dean. I became uh, the dean in the middle of that recent thing that happened, the global pandemic. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but it was fun. Interesting. Um, I'm English. You can maybe hear from my accent, but I've been 12 years in California at this point. So my vowels are slightly kind of affected by that. Um, I am an Australian Shepherd mix parent. River um, River Song, named after a Doctor Who character, um, is uh, a delight when she's being good. Um, and a comic book buff, uh, which may come up later as we look at this chapter
0: I w okay, so just to clarify that you are not an Australian mix, that you have an Australian mix dog.
1: Oh yes. I'm not an Australian mix. Uh I, I'm I'm very English. Um my puppy is an Australian shepherd mix, um and she has opinions.
0: As most dogs do. Yeah. So um, this is episode seven. And um, as some folks who've been listening to this podcast know, it's tied to the book by Jennifer, Jennifer Gamber called Your Faith, Your Life. And this episode is tied to chapter seven in the revised version of that text, but you can listen along no matter what. So. Every single episode has this big question, these right these important questions to ask, the right questions as a play on uh, our rights of ministry. And the big question every single time is more than anyone can answer in a 20-minute conversation, but we're going to give it a try anyways. So, Matthew, yeah. What are the 3 or 4 most important things for someone to know about how the church makes a difference? in the world
1: oh gosh okay i think that some people think the church is inviting you to be different than you are um that you come through the doors of the church and you're being invited to behave differently to change yourself and i don't think that's what the church is asking you to do i think we're created beings created for love created in a variety of ways i think we actually are being invited to be more ourselves Um, more deeply ourselves, and that's something I picked up from, from reading this chapter. The idea of calling is not a calling to be something else, like me being a priest. I'm not meant to be a priest in a radically different way from the way that I am a human being. I'm meant to be a priest in a more distilled way. I'm meant to be more a version of me than I ever was. All of the things about me that make me me should be central. So I think at first... The first thing I want to say is it's an invitation to be yourself more deeply um, and to recognize in yourself gifts, skills, aptitudes that are needed in the world and then just live into them. Um, I really like a quote by Frederick Bruckner, um, your vocation in life is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Um, and so I love um, doing art. I love poetry. I love words. I love interpreting texts. I love telling stories. I love teaching. I love uh, the look on someone's face when they get an idea that I've tried to communicate. Those are all me. And what I really enjoy is being able to be me for God. So that's one thing I would say. And the other thing is that the church is a community, a place where we belong um, with others. Uh, I think in the beginning of the, the Bible, it says it's not good for a man to be alone, um, man or woman, any of us. And that doesn't just mean searching for a partner. It means finding a community, finding a way to belong. Um, so one of the things that we talk about is gathering together. Um, and when we gather together, what we do is we open up stories. We tell stories. We say prayers. We uh, contemplate with longing the way the world should be in the love of God. Um, we sing hymns uh, and we sing in chorus. We learn how to harmonize with each other. And all of those things are wonderful. We're invited into worship by our sacred texts and by our traditions. Baptism is really an invitation into being a part of something with other people. And the baptismal covenant invites us in the Episcopal tradition to to come together and participate in communal life. So I think being with other people and realizing that your influence can be expanded by the fact that you might be with a group of other people with a bunch of other skills and gifts. So if I have one set, somebody else in my group might have another set of skills. And if we can work them together with a great deal of respect, we can really make a difference in the world. Um, So that was the second thing. Um, Be yourself and also be together. I also think that our church invites us to contemplate a set of values, which I think sometimes we think that the church invents all kinds of killjoy rules that are just meant to stop us from having fun. But actually, when you really look at like, the baptismal covenant, for example, when you're invited to contemplate the humanity of every human being and respect their dignity and fight for justice, these are all great things. They're fantastic. I love it. and. Um, They are asking me to be a version of myself collected around a set of values that I think is really incredibly important. It's helpful for me to remember my values from time to time. It's helpful for me to repeat the words of the baptismal covenant, to repeat the words of scripture that remind me what my core values are. And like I said earlier, I don't believe it's inviting me to be something other than me. I think it's inviting me to be more myself. But having those values repeated Time after time is is really helpful.
0: It's almost like it's a space. It's like giving us a, a fluid boundary within which to practice our authentic selves in community. Mm-hmm. That's what the, those values are, and sometimes those values get communicated into you know basic ways to live together. But it's so that we can live, so that we can have freedom with with each other. Yeah inside of a a generous structure?
1: Well, yeah, I, I think the church can often be like, it can be like lots of different things. It can be like a hospital where people come to recover. It can be like a school where people come to learn and grow. And one of the things we do is to learn alongside each other. So we learn our values by repeating them with each other in liturgy, but then we learn them by knocking up against other people in the pew or other people that we don't get on with Church is this great place where all sorts of people come together and you don't get to choose who you're gonna sit next to. It's kind of a bit like family. Um, and so we we have to learn how to navigate relationships and complex people and our own complex personalities in relation to other people. And it, it, it's like a school of faith that helps us grow, yes.
0: Absolutely. I was flashing back to uh, situations in um, not congregational church life, but like camp church life, where everybody is on the same site and having to dwell in community with their authentic selves. And in some ways, because of the space away from everything, it sometimes helps peel back some of those layers to the authentic self, but then those new authentic Mm -hmm. selves are bouncing up against each other.
1: Yes. And I'm not saying there aren't things that we don't have to grow through. Like there, there are things that we have to encounter uh, and understand about ourselves We've inherited pain. We've internalized it from our family systems, from the world around us. And sometimes we can inflict that on others. There is some change that's required of us, but I don't think it's an essential change of who you are as a person. I think it's growth towards a better version of yourself, guided by the values of faith. Um, and I think one of the ways in which we get to do that is the last thing I would say is, is about meditation, um, prayer. In your own space, um, in the chapter, it talks about the Ignatian examine, which I think is lovely. It's a thing that you do at the end of the day to say, what was the most joyful, energizing thing I encountered today? What was the least joyful, the least energizing thing I encountered today? Where did I gain energy? Where did I grow? Where did I lose energy? Where did I retract? Where did I shrink? And I, I don't do that exact practice, but I, I told you about my Australian Shepherd River song, um, who I go for walks with at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. And on my walks, what I am doing is I am remembering, I am putting back together the day. And I am thinking about what it is I experienced um, in community, knocking up against other people as I entered into my work as a priest. And I'm trying to make sense of what that all meant. And often I find myself getting to a deeper level. I can kind of settle down in prayer, contemplation in my walk. To a place where I can say, oh, that thing that I reacted to at lunchtime, um, that wasn't really a thing, that was me overreacting, that was was a trigger inside me being set off, I can let that go, and maybe I can even repair that relationship tomorrow, Um, or that thing that I did this afternoon that I didn't even realize was special, I spent a moment with that person and we connected, and that was a a moment of great joy, and I I was in such a hurry to get to the next appointment that I didn't even spot that, so I can kind of re- rejigger everything and bring it back into some kind of alignment and order
0: yeah yeah that reminds me of one uh, in the chapter um, sh- there's a list of sort of kingdom of and there are four things the kingdom of justice the kingdom of joy the kingdom of abundance and a kingdom of community and um, when she was writing about joy I was thinking I tend to translate words like joy and happy into something more like centered gladness hmm of um, not something that's necessarily something you could communicate with an emoji, but being in a place of rhythm with the world. You're naming this meditation and the chapter calling us to the two pieces of an examine are one of the ways in which we um, discover in ourselves that centered gladness. And hopefully we're practicing that enough that while we're going to continue to mess up our relationships and do stupid things and not notice things in the moment, maybe get us a little better at practicing the moments and noticing the moments where God is breaking through in the moment.
1: Yes. Yes. And I think also remembering that I'm okay. I think there are a lot of voices in our culture that tell us that we're wrong, that we're not okay, that we're, we're configured wrong. We're built wrong. We're, we're flawed. And often if we've lived with that kind of voice we can react to that we can react in that way to all sorts of situations throughout the day one of the things i think i do with my meditation is to stop pause breathe take time think that first instinct that first response is not true is not right um i am good blessed loved cherished And and I do that by remembering the values that I've picked up from my faith, by remembering the community that I'm in and the people that care about me, and by remembering that God made me right in the first place. So there's something about prayer that re-centers me and brings me back to my essential self and the self that's hoping to grow through some of those voices and difficult influences that have stopped me from thriving in the past. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: I think it does make sense. I think it's part of that, um, as you you said very quickly somewhere earlier, of this part of what the ch- the church isn't the perfect zone, it's the practice zone. Yeah. For people who get sent out into the world.
1: Oh my goodness, I like that. I like that because sometimes we, like, church comes, it gets a bad press at all these people that are kind of like po-faced and perfect um, and we're really not. It, it It is a community. It's real. It's alive. It's a place where we're practicing our values, practicing our behavior and practicing being with one another, um, realizing that we're not right all the time, realizing that we're not necessarily the center of the universe, um, recognizing that we can live with others and learn from them. And, you know, as we rub up against people, they knock our rough edges off and and we affect their behavior as well, um, hopefully for the better. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we cause pain. And then the key thing is to notice it, name it. And, and address it if you can. We've gone kind of deep, Jane. Um, I, there was a thing that I was going to say at the beginning that I completely forgot when I was talking about giftedness and this chapter. Um, and it was a thing that like, uh, made my teeth set them on edge cause I was reading it and she's it's a lovely set of writing, but she dives into superheroes at one point and says they're all super gifted. Um, and, uh, what kind of superheroes can we be? And I have to say she got half of it wrong. She talked about, uh, batman having all these extraordinary powers and of course he doesn't he's a natural human being who has uh, worked out to the peak of human fitness she also talks about wonder woman lifting meteors i don't remember an instance of wonder woman lifting meteors uh, i'm gonna forgive her for it because she's really talking about superheroes and giftedness um
0: i also don't think she is as deeply acquainted with the genre as you are
1: I am. I am quite deeply acquainted with the genre. Uh, I have a fairly encyclopedic knowledge of all of this.
0: And I'm glad you brought it up because actually you had a thread of it. And then I was just going to come back around because I love hearing your thoughts about that whole subject. But somewhere between her mentioning it and your heart and your knowledge is a place where this question of how does the church make a real difference in the world and the narratives and the stories that superhero genre is inviting us into there's a connection there for you
1: there is there is i, I and you know i was a teenage boy reading comic books and what are comic books to teenage boys they're escapist fantasies uh, where you wish that you had the power to change the world around you because you of course don't have the power to change the world around you so you fantasize what it would be like to do that And then, if you carry on reading comic books into adulthood, um, you realize some of the flaws of that model, and then you begin to recognize that they're morality tales. Yes, Spider-Man can stick to walls, yes, Superman can fly, and yes, Wonder Woman has bulletproof bracelets. But the key of the story is, what do they do with their moral choices? Um, They can do all these extraordinary things, they have all these extraordinary gifts. Um, But the heart of the Spider-Man story is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You've got to do something with the gifts that you've got. And what do you do? And so often the story for me as an adult looking at comic books and the comic book superhero movies that that are out all the time right now is is not just the flashy fights and outfits and, and superhero antics. It's the morality tale. What am I having to wrestle with in my own heart about my character in this moment Um, and I think that they often do that really well. It's kind of interesting that the DC superheroes from the 1940s were all a bit too perfect and not flawed, and they didn't have to wrestle with a moral conundrum. They had to invent moral conundrums for them, so um, Superman was too powerful, and they had to invent kryptonite, so they had a weakness that he had to wrestle with. The Marvel heroes from the 60s that I really like, like Spider-Man, the boy Peter Parker, who was always late, being a hero always got in the way of his personal life um he was always wrestling with what his priorities were you know the millionaire billionaire uh tony stark he wrestled with alcoholism and a uh, and a narcissistic personality to try and find his own heroism in, in his, himself I, I i love all that stuff um so i like that she alighted on it but uh i i go off in a different direction with all of those things
0: i have done this I understand your immediate frustration with something you know really well. I was reading a, a, you know, my love of Jane Austen novels. And I was reading a book and it said something and I was like, that's wrong. And was able to pull out the copy of Sense and Sensibility and find the page in like three seconds. And I was almost more mad that no editor bothered to check this detail. But
1: I get that. Like you could spend an awful lot of time uh, like correcting people who are wrong on the internet. You Uh, you could. The the kind of passions we have, Jane. Yes. Yeah.
0: There are there are people who do that, but I want to go back to what you just said though of it was a beautiful articulation of the way in which a character like Spider-Man humanity wrestling with great power and a responsibility to everything else and not just using those powers for selfish gain but for the well-being of others is Part of the answer of how church makes a real difference—it's learning to use our powers um, for centered gladness, but also for the well-being of the neighbor and the world—and which gets back to your first story about the program at Trinity Cathedral.
1: Yes, um, uh, and and that program is interesting in that it, it's tied up with all sorts of people that have all sorts of gifts that they love. Uh, one of them loves cooking. Another one just likes organizing events. Others like hospitality. They're taking those things, which are essentially parts of themselves, and they're integrating them with a program, which is actually making some real difference. Now, the huge challenge is that the problem of homelessness uh, here on the West Coast in particular is just huge. And it's really a challenge to figure out how to like really change that. Um, so there are other people that are getting involved in the program who are interested in politics and they're interested in public discourse and they're interested in advocacy um, and they're interested in seeing how we can do more than just feed, but also build something larger and start changing public policy so it can tackle this challenge. It's always in which people are being themselves with a particular focus that I quite like. Um, We got serious for a second. I, I was remembering a conversation I had with a friend recently Uh, clergy are often really intuitive yeah you know that comes from also space don't know where we can read situations i was talking to one of my friends who was not a clergy person but they are also really intuitive and we realized that we were kind of reading a situation the same way intuitively in a context we were in and we kind of looked at each other and were kind of chatting and saying well you know i'm seeing what's going on here but i would now go to decide if i'm going to use my powers for good Um, you know, am I going to get involved in the situation and help? Or am I going to just kind of sit on the sidelines or, or even just gossip in the background, we were making a joke. It was lighthearted, but I, I think lots of things that we have in ourselves are like superpowers, like, are you intuitive? Are you creative? Can you play a musical instrument? Um, can you cook? They're all, they're all superpowers. How will you use them? Um, that's, that's the challenge
0: it is the challenge that all of us are faced with which is probably a good segue into the question we ask every single time of what's one thing that someone listening to this podcast could try
1: i've got five things i'm trying to narrow it down to one jane it's a tough question
0: we've got time name 3
1: um, well I, i'll go with one i think the one thing that everybody could do that would transform their lives is to carve out 20 minutes at the end of the day to pause slow down breathe And just look through the day. Um, Use the examine questions, if you like, from the chapter. um, Or just simply say, what brought me joy and what drained me today? And notice them slightly away from the event with a kind of a calm sense of I'm breathing through this. And I'm noticing what happened today. Hopefully, with the love of God in my orbit, rotating around me, uh, enveloping me so that I can reinterpret it. If, if everybody just stopped, paused, took a breath and looked at their day through that lens, I think it will make a huge difference to the whole world.
0: I agree. And us actually taking that time is also part of how anyone can tap into that intuitive place that empathetic place that helps discern what your own powers are and what the context in which they might be needed are getting back to that uh, quote you used um earlier of the the passion meeting the needs of the world part of the way you do that sort sorting and discovery like that you know in you know it happens dramatically in fiction. Sometimes it happens dramatically in real life, but it helps us do that discernment by that pause.
1: Yes. We see the world, we see the events we've been through, and we see ourselves in a new light.
0: Well, this has been fun. I think we probably could keep going on even longer, but I want to thank you for your time, first of all. And then secondly, I want to review our, your four points about the four most important things in answer to the question of how does church make a real difference? Mm-hmm. And your first response was that we are invited to be more deeply and authentically ourselves, which is interesting. That's one of the major points throughout a lot of these episodes. So authenticity mm-hmm. is um, one of the core things that we are up to in our life together in the church secondly and tied to that is um being ourselves in community that in a world that seems lonely and lost so much of the time um it is authenticity. learning authenticity in a space of belonging with layers and layers of story yeah. and happenings going on that we change through mm-hmm. thirdly One of the most important things is that we are offering structure, but it's, it's a loose structure that's based in values and values of God, uh, for mercy, for welcome, for loving kindness. And then fourthly, the, one of the things it brings is just stopping meditation and prayer that gets, which actually connects back to the first thing of intentionality of, of being purposeful about our life and examining our life and taking the space to breathe and find that peace and center in ourselves with God, with Christ. And then um, also seeing how that connects to beyond ourselves. It's really like a whole economy. In some ways, it's too bad we have to name it with one, two, three, four, which seems to put it in, in an order.
1: It all rotates around each other. They all kind of orbit like constellations.
0: They do. Well, I already said thank you, but I miss you. I miss being on the same coast, getting to do projects together. Um, And I'm glad to have your reflections in my life. So we are going to wrap up with prayer, though. And the prayer today is actually one of the the collects, the prayers we use in Sunday worship in the beginning of the Eucharist. And this is one that's for mid-June. So let us pray. Keep, O Lord, your household, the church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion, for the sake of our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.